Well, let me share with you, brothers and sisters, that uh, I am sitting in front of a, oh, a, a different background than you might be used to. I'm actually sitting in my dining room, and behind me at the head of the table is a window. And this window has blinds over it or uh, things that would block out the sun. But right behind me and in the dining room is the blinds. And if I were to open them up, you could see what's outside, what's right behind me, what's beyond this wall that is blocking your view behind me. But I wonder how many of us kind of look at God in that same way. We might not understand God. We might not feel that we have this uh, relationship with God. And it feels like just this big blockade that keeps us from knowing God fully. And yet, I'm doing this from my dining room at the head of the table because that's where here on earth so many relationships happen is around our dining room tables. We gather together as a family. We eat together. We celebrate together. We join together. We have relationship one with another together around the dining room table. And so too, that's exactly what God wants for us. He wants that relationship with us and to be there among us and be part of our lives. And that's exactly what we're about to take a look at in the text that we're going to take a look at, Acts chapter 2, in just a few moments. But I wanted to ask you a couple questions because at the very beginning I mentioned this is Holy Trinity Sunday. But how many of us fully understand the concept of Trinity or triune? For example, Trinity, when you think of the word Trinity, what are some of the things that come to mind? Is it uh, the actress from the Matrix series that comes to mind? Is it a mountain or a park that you have been to? Is it some idea, some game, some concept that you think of Trinity that just is three things that are brought together. What is Trinity? And I know when trying to explain it in confirmation or Bible classes, we don't always have a full appreciation of what Trinity really means. In fact, over the course of early church history, uh, they set down a number of creeds or professions of faith that talked about God and who God revealed himself to be. And the one that we use often, especially around baptisms, is the Apostles' Creed. And another one that is used is the Nicene Creed, and some churches use that during communion Sundays. And then once or twice a year, the church pulls out what's called the Athanasian Creed. And it's attributed to Athanasius, who uh, was a person, a, a person back in uh, the 500s that actually was speaking against and writing against heretics in the church. And while there's no affirmation that he actually wrote it, he was uh, uh, partially responsible for the concept of the Athanasian Creed. It's a really long creed that talks about Father, 
Son, and Holy Spirit and their relationship together in the Godhead. But a lot of times, trying to figure out from our earthly perspective of what Trinity is, or triune, or three in one, is difficult. And yet we as followers of Christ try and make sense. And if you've ever been part of a confirmation or Bible class or somebody trying to explain it to you, maybe you've heard it this way. For example, you might have heard it as an egg. An egg has a shell, a yolk, and the gooey stuff that's all around the yolk in between the yolk and the shell. And some people talk about an egg in this regard. For those of you who love omelets, you can turn to the person next to you and share with you, them your favorite omelet ingredient that goes into an omelet. For example, ham or cheese or, for me, it's pretty much the whole kitchen sink. Or how you like your eggs. I know after worship, maybe you can make some eggs or take some eggs and put them in pancakes or flip them over easy with some bacon. Whatever it is, sometimes we try and explain the Trinity as an egg. And yet, if you've ever bitten down on an eggshell, that's not the most pleasant thing to, uh, to, come, to have your teeth come into to play with. Sometimes we've explained it as an apple. Now, maybe you might have a favorite apple that you like. Mine is actually ambrosia. I found that out when I was at a men's retreat a number of years ago, that ambrosia is my favorite apple of all time. But I love apples no matter how they are because they're delicious. And whether they're in pies, whether they are in strudel, whether they are eaten with cheese and crackers, whether they're just eaten plainly on a warm day. I love apples. Turn to the person next to you and share with them what your favorite apple is real quick. Go. Well, I know in religion we sometimes talk about an apple, that it has the peel, it has the flesh, it has the seeds underneath at its core. Uh, but even talking about an apple isn't always the cleanest way to talk about it. And so there's another way. We sometimes use H2O to talk about the, the, the Trinity. And right here, as I'm digging this out, is an ice cube. And for those of you who love ice cubes, by the way, what's your favorite beverage to be drinking with ice or ice cubes, turn to the person next to you and share that with them. Go! Well, we have ice. And if you can see, there is actually water, liquid water, dripping off of the ice and into the glass. And I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's also vapor that is coming up off of the ice cubes and raising up from the glass. And so we have three different forms of a substance that is right here in this glass. We have 
the ice solid, we have the water liquid, we have the vapor as a gaseous substance, all coming out of the same glass. And by the way, did you get a chance to count how many ice cubes are in here? Well, there's actually 12. And that's in honor of the apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel that we're going to be taking a look at in just a moment. So there you have it. Those are some of the different ways that we've talked about the Trinity. I actually remember a chapel that Mr. Dewar actually led, and I don't remember if it was dealing specifically with the Trinity, but I love the idea of houseboat and anchor ropes and an anchor that kept us secure. Now, when we take a look at Trinity Sunday, there's actually some great stuff in the Bible. And we're going to continue taking a look at Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 2. So now that you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2, I'm actually going to start at verse 14. And this sets the stage. Verse 14, just the first part. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, the, the, the apostles, the twelve disciples, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Israelites, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I'm going to skip over to verse 22, but Peter is basically, it's a, the, the first sermon ever preached in the Christian church outside of Jesus that we are aware of that is recorded, and it is on Pentecost. And so the birth of the Christian church that we celebrated last week on May 31st continues in this speech in this sermon in this message that Peter gives and he says fellow Israelites now there's in Israel at that time there was all kinds of different Israelites that were gathered together there were the Jewish Israelites there were Gentiles that called Israel or Jerusalem home there were people from Egypt and Africa from Spain and from the, uh, the Rome, especially, there were all kinds of different people from that area, from uh, the Arabian states and the Persian states and the, uh, all around that Mediterranean area that were gathered together for the Feast of Pentecost that we talked about last week. And so there was a very diverse group. And what Peter does is stand up and shares with the people who were gathered these words, which we continue in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this Jesus of Nazareth. Let me rephrase that. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. 
But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, Peter stands up in the middle of thousands of people on this festival of Pentecost and pretty much comes out and is confronting the people of Israel, the Jewish leaders, the Gentiles, people who were religious, people who weren't religious, the Roman soldiers, the authorities, all kinds of people. It was a uh, in the middle of, of the city, this protest, uh, this peaceful protest, this proclamation rings out that Peter, who is concerned for the people and the welfare and the eternal welfare of the people, shares this message. And if you read along in your Bible, you noticed a lot of commas and periods. However, in Greek, this is one long sentence. It's all the way through just a run-on statement to the people that were in Jerusalem, the Israelites, both the religious and non-religious or pan-religious people that were gathered. And Peter gets up and proclaims this message. And he pretty much asks the people to listen. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to what's going on. I think in a world today, I know when you might hear the word protest, you might be thinking, especially during this past week, where there has been a lot of unrest, there has been a lot of violence, there has been a lot of difficulties going on, there has been looting happening, there has been all kinds of things related to the protest of Black Lives Matter. And wherever you are in this spectrum, you still have to remember that we in Christ know that Black Lives Matter and that we want to affirm the sanctity of life for people. And here Peter, Peter, Peter is talking to Israelites, but there was a lot of different varieties of people in there and the people of the Jewish religion would have been, as we've talked about before, downtrodden and oppressed and overtaxed. And to be able to have in their little area um, overtrodden by the Roman rulers and authorities. And while many of them, I'm sure, were good, there is always a bad apple in every bunch. And sure enough... Um, there's even bad apples in religious circles as well. And Peter is saying to the people, hey, we killed Jesus. We did. We put him on the cross. And I know that here in our world today, as we're seeing images from all around, not just the United States, but around the world, protesting and speaking out about the sanctity of life and about respect for black lives and respect for people who are oppressed or beaten down, that we, as followers of Christ, need to listen. We need to listen to the needs of our neighbors around us. We need to listen 
to the needs of our community around us. We need to listen to find out, to seek to understand before we are understood. And to be able to understand and be understanding of those who are going through such difficult times. I come back to God. And this is exactly what God does. God listens to us. He listens to our needs in the middle of the night when we are scared or concerned, when our mind is spinning, when the vortex of uncertainty is around us. God listens to us. He listens. And God is there in the midst of all of this chaos. But he also reminds us that we as followers of Christ are to go out and listen to the needs of those around us. And it might start with our own families. It might start with our husband or our wives to be able to truly seek to understand what they are saying, to hear and listen to what they say, and to be able to listen to our children or our parents, to be able to listen in our family, and then to go out through our front doors or our garages to be able to listen to the neighbors around us. And to listen on a broader scale of what is going on in our community and in the world around us. Brothers, I, I share with you that I lament, to borrow a phrase that one of our members shared with me, I lament. I am in tears and I am in sorrow of seeing uh, when someone is oppressed. And I don't understand the full ramifications. But I want to listen to their needs. I want to listen to their stories. I want to listen to their hurts and their pains and their needs. And I think as followers of Christ, that's something that we can do one for another. As God listened to the needs of his people, as God created the world, as Genesis 1 tells us, and then he heard the crying out, the outcries of his people. He listened and he says, I have a plan. I have a plan to take the oppression of Satan and sin and the devil and death, eternal death, off of your mind. I'm going to send myself as a savior to you. I listen. Let me step in. Let me kneel down to pray. Let me stretch out my arms to be nailed to the cross. And let me walk out of that empty tomb and spread my arms around you with love. God listens to us over and over and over. And Peter was pointing that out as we pick it back up in verse 25. David said about him, and this is from Psalm uh, chapter 16. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. These are words for us today, aren't they? I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. No fear of death. No fear of that. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Boy, those are comforting words. To know that we live in the hope because God is with us, that we live in his presence, that he's not going to let us just waste away, that we are going to have life eternal and life abundantly here on earth because of what God does for us. I hope you learn that. Learn that clearly. There's a good Greek word for learning that, but it's pretty much just learning learning about God and what God says for us so that we can then go and learn about others and hear what the needs, again, of others are. But as followers of Christ, we want to know everything there is to know about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is Peter preaching these words. Verse 29 Brethren, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an, on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned in the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, from Psalm 16, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Brothers and sisters, we want to learn what it means to be a follower of Christ. I know there's a lot of crud out there, to borrow an expression from somebody. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of crud, a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, a lot of concern that's out there. And yet God says, I am Lord. And while we might have to step through this life, we step through it together with God leading us before and behind us and on either side because God came to us. He learned about our needs and he said, I'm going to be there with you so that you can learn about me. As you read this section in Greek, it's actually a, a uh, form of a chiastic form. It talks about how Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is Christ, and Christ, and Jesus then is Christ again, and Jesus is Lord. And over and over, those two terms seem to be interchangeable, but it's a reminder that Jesus is our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, and also he is the Lord, the ruler, the king, the supreme being, the head honcho of everything. Jesus is. And when you are Christ and Lord overall. There's nothing of which we should be afraid because God is with us. And I hope you not only know that or learn that, but you live that. 
and in how we deal with one another, how we do our social media posts, how we do our uh, interactions, how we do our relationships, how we gather around the dining room table, how we interact at church and on our campus and out in our community, that God is before us as our Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, and he is before us and behind us and uplifting us and supporting us as our majestic Lord, the one who leads us forward. I know times right now are difficult. I said that earlier. And with all the unrest, we as followers of Christ, though, need to not only be praying and listening and acting, we can be learning all about what this means so that we can be there and stand in the gap with our brothers and sisters and to be able to affirm them as fellow human beings and brothers and sisters in Christ. To be able to learn what those needs are. And finally, the final verse. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When I think of Jesus, I think of love. Nothing but love. And when we take a look at our homes, when we take a look at our streets that we live on, the neighbors that we say hello to, the neighbors that we might not know, the needs around the corner, the needs in our community, the needs on the street, we go out there in love. Because Christ, our Lord, is nothing but love. And that's what Holy Trinity is all about. God's love for us. He loved us so much that he created us. He loved us so much that he died and rose for us and ascended to heaven for us. He loved us so much that he poured out his presence upon us at Pentecost. And to this day, he loves us so much. And that's how we are to be filled with God's love. So that we can be among the needs of the people. Especially those that matter. And so, brothers and sisters, as Peter preached to us, I can't improve upon that. We listen. We learn. We love. God bless you as God goes with you in all things, in all times, always and forever. Amen. And now as we depart from this feast of the Holy Trinity, as we depart from the dining room table that we are gathered around, as we go out and continue our day, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's bright, smiling face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with his favor as you go in his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to let you know if you haven't had this opportunity yet to do a Google search or look in your catechisms or in your hymnal 
and do a search on the Athanasian Creed. And especially, the a nice one is the Athanasian Creed plus LCMS. And it gives a nice little historical reference for the Athanasian Creed. And then it gives you a layout of what we profess as followers of Christ as, as the Christian church through the words of the Athanasian Creed. God bless you, and may your day be filled as you listen and learn and love one another. Amen.